Welcome to the Power Women in Insurance Show with your host, Teresa Kitchens. Join us as we laugh, talk about hard issues, support each other, and make our industry and our world a better place. Let's go. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Power Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Teresa, your host, and today I have a longtime friend of mine, somebody we've had so many really great conversations with, and a powerful woman in the insurance space who has just really been a beacon for being really super honest and truthful and just being really, really um, a powerhouse and um, I'm going to say tenacious in this industry because she's been in this industry a long time, but at the same time, she's made a great impact in her community. So everybody, welcome my good friend, Kai Smith. Hey, how are you, baby? Thank you. Thank you, honey. I appreciate you greatly for allowing me to have the opportunity to share my truth and my story in this space. I am grateful. Well, you know, we met at a conference back a couple of years ago, and I have always just been so flabbergasted about how I can meet people at a conference. We met through a Facebook group at a conference, but we've become really good friends, even though you live in Alabama and I live in Texas. And I just think it's great that we have forged such a wonderful friendship over a virtual platform that we have been able, like we see each other once every year, maybe two years, right? Because there are some times that we maybe go to different conferences because, you know, you might have a different passion one year than, than I have, right? And there have been so many insurance conferences the last couple of years that have popped up. Sometimes people are like, oh, I want to go to these and other people want to go to those. So we haven't always seen each other even every year, but we've kept up with each other on a virtual basis and everything. And so I've watched your journey over the last few years. I know you've made a lot of good uh, pivots and transitions in your business and your life. You've you've really pursued health and wellness, and I really want to make sure we bring that conversation to everybody today. So that's why I wanted to make sure we had you on. So I am thrilled. Awesome. I'm ready. I'm excited. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about how you got into insurance and how you kind of got where you are today. That's how I usually like to start. So let's learn that about you today. Well, I will tell you, I'm the um, probably the non-traditional insurance agent. I came in uh, really through the back door. So I had a very, very uh, rough life as a child. I lived on the streets and um, my parents were very heavily in drugs. And um, I'm originally from the West Coast. And I came to go to college and needed a job. I was a teacher. I did all kinds of things. Um, and it's really crazy. I My degree is in accounting. I somehow ended up a Spanish teacher for many years. <laughs> Uh, I'm not Hispanic at all. So that's another story. How I even know how to speak Spanish. But when you're when you live on the streets, you gotta learn how to communicate like the streets. And uh being growing up in California, that was the language, yep. uh, second language. And so ironically, just being a risk taker, I stopped teaching in the middle of the year, uh, in 2004 to be exact. And went moved to Birmingham and sent my life insurance agent a tech a message. I called him and left a message and told him I needed to change my address. I was moving and um I was going to get uh, a job that uh my degree supported. And he called me while I was on the freeway and said, why don't you get an insurance? And I thought, are you nuts? I don't know anything about insurance. 
Um, this was life insurance at the time. And he said, sure you do. You know everything about life insurance. And the reason he said that was because at a young age, um, drugs um, impacted my family, but also uh, death impacted my family. So my father was a heroin addict. My stepfather, who I lived with for a while, was a crack addict. And both of them died before I was 20, one, and neither one of them had life insurance. Mm. So my stepfather, who didn't have life insurance, um, my mom left me when I was 15. And so uh, she relocated and um, I didn't have anywhere to go because there nobody wants to take a kid without any financial backing. And there was no life insurance. Um, and so we, I kind of lost everything in a moment. Um, fast forward to getting into college, which a group sent me to college. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. It's just something that it was going to provide shelter and food. And, um, and so it was a safe place for me. I had a kid at the time. Um, so I'm in college. I'm 20 years old. I get a call that my father was my biological father who I also was close with, um, was found deceased um, and he had no insurance. And so I had to take a student loan out um, to help get myself home and to bury him because I was the only remaining relative. Right. When I graduated college, my grandmother surfaced out of nowhere. And again, I'm the only relative that they, that remaining relative. So um, long-term care came into play and those things. So my life insurance agent knew my story and said, I think you'd be the best person to get an insurance because you know what catastrophe feels yeah. like. And you have that and have investment. It. Yes, they don't yeah. know. So I needed a job. <laughs> he said, I'm, I just took a position at MetLife uh, as a managing agent, and I want you to be my first recruit. And I said, I don't know anything about insurance. He said, you don't need to. We're going to pay for all of it. Nice. We'll get the license. We'll do all of it. We'll mentor you. And I said, okay. He says, if you are serious, turn around on the interstate, come back down here. I go to, I go in the office at four o'clock to sign my contract. I want you to sign your contract at the same time. So basically he signed on to the company, on to MetLife, signed all his employment documents. And I sat next to him and signed all of my agent documents. And so thus started, uh, I, I did that about, I was uh, with them about a year and a half. Um, the mark, you know, economy started changing. I somehow ended up, um, meeting uh, another mutual PNC agent who was independent at the time. And he, I was like, everybody's canceling their life insurance. Every, you know, the economy is getting tough. And he said, you know, home and auto is where it is. PNC, <laughs> you gotta have. Well, I didn't know anything about PNC, but coming from California, I knew a whole bunch about farmers insurance. Okay. So I called farmers. I called a district agent that I found uh, I think it was in the phone book or something, Google, whatever. And she said, that's ironic. Somebody's on the other line talking to me about you right now. And I said, are you serious? She was like, yeah, somebody recommended you to me. And she said, I want to meet you. And she said, can you come up to Birmingham? And I was like, sure. Came up to Birmingham and um, thus started an eight year journey. Uh, 
of my 20 years that I, my anniversary is this year, I'll be 20 years in this industry, but um, thus started an eight year career journey with farmers. And um, surprising to me, I was extremely good at it. I was the 35th largest uh, agent, uh, life insurance producing agency in the nation for farmers. Wow. I was rookie of the year. Um, oh my gosh. I had so many trophies and championships and all that kind of stuff. And I really never looked back. Right. I just, um, you know, kept going. And so that's kind of how I got here. So, so how did you, how did you leave farmers and start your own independent agency? Cause that's scary, especially when, um, cause you know, independent, they typically don't, but there's nobody to give you a salary. Right. And especially when you have a family and you have a life and you've had history, right. And you had a book that you were already generating some money from. And like you said, you were a big agent, right? So what, what propelled you into the independent side of this industry? Well, so that's interesting too. I'm going to say this in the most polite way. <laughs> um, being a Black woman in a quote unquote white male and stale industry. Right. Okay. okay. Um, no offense here, but it is what it is. Uh -huh. um, I have dealt with a lot of oppression. Mm. Um, a lot of things are not fair. Yep. And um, the survivor in me said, look, if you're going to run over me with the bus and back up and roll over me again, you can have it because I'm always going to bet on me uh -huh. before I'm going to be loyal to you. And Farmers was a great, great company. And but there was a lot of stress that came with that. And there was a lot of unfairness. Um, I experienced the same thing with MetLife. And I just got to a place where I woke up and I said one morning, if I'm going to make a run for this again, because it is hard to build a scratch book of business, I need to do it when I have enough energy and tenacity within me before I get to 50 and 60 years old where I don't want to do this anymore. So I jumped ship when I knew that I was still in the prime and I was still, you know, had all that energy and fire behind me to rebuild. Um, and it's, as I look back and I'm talking to you, I'm thinking that in my career, that's probably one of the best decisions that I ever did. I did it then versus waiting to do it now. Hmm. I think that's one thing that, people will do is they overthink things. And when they overthink, they procrastinate and they put things off. And, and I'm actually reading a book that our friend Joan Curtis actually referred to me. And it's called um, Who Not How. And it's it's all about um, finding people to be able to get things done. Like we maximize ourselves out, especially entrepreneurs to such a level that we constantly think we're the only people that can do things rather than empowering the people around us to rise. That's really what it is. And then we can delegate, right? But there's one section of the book that talks about procrastination shows us that something is we don't have enough knowledge or experience to do something and that there's certain times you have to push through that. But there's other times you need to figure out if you have something you need to delegate. Right. Like if you're not that's not your gift. Right. You don't enjoy it. You know, so so take that procrastination if we do have that. 
and think about it. Maybe that's not something we want to do. Maybe we feel forced to do something. Maybe we don't feel like we have enough education and we need more education. But then on the other side of that, we need to embrace if it is our time to do something, if it is within our wheelhouse, if it's part of what we're really, really good at. And I love the fact that you looked at that and you said, I could stay where I'm at and I can keep doing what I'm doing and still be in this um, hamster cage or, you know, the the, the circle, right? The, the wheel. Or I can go on out because I know I'm good at this and I know I can do it. And like you said, you bet on yourself. And I find that so inspirational. There's so many people, myself included, who've made so many decisions over time to play small because we're afraid to bet on ourselves. But I love the fact that you said, one thing I will always do is bet on myself. And I think that just shows so much towards your success that you've actually been able to achieve because I think that's such a great philosophy that you have. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what catapulted me into the independent market. Um, and I just really hadn't looked back. Right, right. So now you do, you do life, you do, uh, you do, do you do health insurance? I don't remember. Do you do health or you okay. just life? Okay. Life, you do uh, PNC, the personal lines, you know, kind of thing, uh, and, and PNC, but just kept commercial and uh, personal insurance. So you do a little of that. So you've really grown from just doing the life insurance piece to really doing so many different pieces of insurance. Tell me about that journey for you once you did become independent for you to be able to get on out there, really get the information. Because I think one of my biggest challenges with being an independent agent is the lack of support, the lack of education, the lack of where do we go? How do we find it? And even when I get there, how do I know it's right? Right. I mean, how do I know that what I'm doing, even if I forge through on this whole self-education thing, I could take classes all day long. But the reality is, how do I know in activity that things are right? How did you overcome that hurdle? Because I think that's one of the hardest parts of being an independent agent. As I would think, especially coming from somebody like a farmer's or a met life that has that education piece. I've never been in that situation. You know, I mean, I didn't even have a license when I opened up my agency, which I don't even understand how my cluster let me do that. But like, I, I have really struggled with that. And a part of me wishes I would have had a little bit of that backbone. But at the same point, you went from life insurance. So I know you got a lot of that um, with training-ish with the whole farmer's thing. But then you've really been able to launch it on your own. Tell me a little bit about that piece of it. So I think um, I attribute, when I get asked that question, I probably attribute a lot of that to farmers um, and to life insurance. So Life insurance and PNC, they're totally two different sales. Right. Um, and I, if I had to do this all over again, or I was starting out, I would do it exactly the way that I did it. Nice. Um, because you learn how to sell completely different with life insurance than you do PNC. That's mm -hmm. why a lot of times PNC agents are not very big or very good at selling life insurance. Because life insurance is more of a visual sale. You've got to get the, use your words to get the person to understand what death will look like. You've got to get them to feel it, to visualize it. And that's uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people yeah. um, in order to get them to move. Well, if you have the ability, which is a talent that I tend, I guess I had as a kid, for everyone that said they met me, I never asked for an ice, a popsicle when I was a kid. I would always ask in a more descriptive manner. I'd say, wow, it's so hot. 
can't you feel the cold um, water going down your throat? My mom was like, I was seven years old when I would ask her, like, mom, my throat is so warm. I need a popsicle so I can feel the pool go down my throat um, instead of saying I want a popsicle. So when you have that ability to do that and you pull that into the PNC side, you don't have to rely on rates because you're not selling price. You're selling coverage and you're getting the person to understand and see and feel why the coverages are necessary to them. Um, and so the training of how to sell really came um, from life, the life insurance industry, you know, asking for the sale, that kind of thing. In terms of how to run my agency, how to build it, how to grow, hands down. Farmers insurance will always get the kudos above everybody because Farmers University is a real place in LA and in Aurora as well, but it is in Southern California. And I went many times. I took lots of classes. I invested. Um, I also went to a lot of different agencies. I did that early on in my career. Um, I would go to other agencies and I would talk with the agents and I would see what they did. And not just, not just captive as a farmer's agent. Many times I hang out in the all state agencies and I hang out. I did and stay farm. And what I did was I would ask them if I could take their surplus business. So they wouldn't waste time on what their company didn't want to write. That was kind of how I would get prospecting. And in that, I would build relationships with them. And I would ask them, how do you do this? How did you do that? How did you? So I have to say in how my agency runs and how it has been set up, 100% hands down captive was, was how I got my knowledge. So when I left Farmers, of course, that was scary. I sold and I didn't do it the way that they do it now. You go find a buyer, you bid the highest price. I didn't do any of that. The oppression that I was experiencing, the frustration Mm. that I was experiencing, I just said, forget it. Buy it back. Um, And the way that they buy it back is over a year and a half period. So you're not getting anything but every six months. So you got to make your chips count. Um, being a previous school teacher, getting paid peanuts once a month at the end of the month teaches you how to make your dollars stretch. Um, but I just went back to do, I never stopped doing what I was doing. Um, so one of the, the things I think with, um, that has been successful for me is uh, a little different than many other agency owners is I hear a lot agency owners want to sit in front of the computer they want to run the company. They want to stay inside. I'm not that person. <laughs> I do it all very well. My degree, I went to Alabama State University and it provided a great, it's a great institution, provided a great curriculum for me to understand how to do a lot of things. Um, so I run my business well. But me personally, I'd like to go outside and shake the tree and make them and bring the money in. I'm okay. that I am all about the prospecting. You know, they would give me a, back then we had index cards and a shoebox kind of prospecting system. Um, and they say, here's the phone book and, you know, write down 50 people, you know, and five people under and all that. I didn't want to do all that, any of that. Right. What I wanted to do is I would get up at seven o'clock and I would go to strip centers 
in other places and I'd give them my car and say, hey, I was in the area to see a client. Didn't have a client anywhere, but I was in the area to see a client. Um, this is what I do. This is what I just wanted to talk to people. And I want to throw seeds and throw seeds and prospect. And, you know, I didn't want to have to come to the office if I didn't have to um, to do anything. The problem is when you have no staff, you have no choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no <laughs> yeah, option at that point, right? Yep. Yes. You so, what do they say? You're the janitor and the CEO all at the same time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so the transition for me wasn't as hard because once I, I was a very good steward of my finances, okay. um, and I always understood the industry that you know you could have seven years of feast and seven years of famine. Mm -hmm. I always I understood that. Um, I came in 2005 is when the market crashed, the housing market, I think it was. And so, and then it did it again, I think at 11, 2011 or 2010. So I, I went through a few cycles at that point and I had staff at Farmers and I didn't sell, I didn't let the way that I set everything up. Um, I only sold, Farmers bought my book and they took their name back. But my company was set up, thankfully, to my university and how I was educated. My company was set up from the beginning in a way that farmers could not take my office. They could not take my phone number. They could not take anything. Nice. Other than I had a non-compete. Right. And um, but I had still had two CSRs at the time and I had lots of centers of influences. So I, my prospecting never stopped from farmers to independent. And I think that helped me in terms of sales. Now, what was the struggle for being independent? I didn't have problems getting direct contracts. I didn't go with the aggregator cluster. I didn't have to. A lot of people in the city knew who I was and a lot of carriers knew. Right. And so um, they gave me, I got my direct contracts pretty quickly. What I wasn't prepared for was the loss ratio conversation. Ah. Don't experience that individually on a captive level like you do as an independent. Um, and that took me probably the first couple of years trying to navigate those waters of losing smaller contracts and having to do book roles and losing people in that process. Yeah. And that part probably was the hardest migration into being independent. Okay. Interesting. So, so as you went independent then, and you're getting these contracts and you have all these centers of influence and you have all these relationships already, did you see some of that, um, what you had said, some of that, um, some of that, the, the the trials and tribulations that you had over the other locations in the other life and insurance. Did you see a lot of those kind of clear up once it was just kind of you? And because obviously, if you're not fighting the, you know, the powers that be, right, you can do what you want to do and experience that freedom. But at the same point with that freedom, sometimes there's a lot of um things we didn't know, a lot of things we didn't take into consideration, right? How did you make that mental transition? To be able to make to to being that 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 person that makes all the decisions to be able to because like you're saying you love to be networking you love to be out and about you love the sales aspect right and you know how to do that I think that's something a lot of people struggle with whenever they go independent is that they now they have to be the business owner and the salesperson especially in the beginning 
How did you find that balance? Because I think that's really, really hard. And especially in a world as a woman, and um, I mean, I am not a woman of color, but as a woman, I would go to networking events and I'd be like, yeah, I own my own agency. And I'd be like, hey, you know, and I'd try to dress up and I would have on like heels or whatever. But you try to look interesting and fun and you try to kind of stand out in the crowd. And I found that some of the, the comments were inappropriate. Some people didn't take me as seriously. Um, some people would think, oh, you can go back to your boss and you can tell them. That. I'm like, no, I am the boss, you know. And But I mean, you know, and I think sometimes maybe, I don't know. If you have like a big name behind you, some of that stuff might not happen as much, as much as people maybe who think that you're um, working for some, I don't know. I don't know how to put that, but I, I mean, I, I just have struggled with some of that myself, just feeling like, no, I am worthy in the room. I'm good enough. And um, I think sometimes people, if they have a big name behind you, they don't bring a lot of that up. But if you don't, I think sometimes they think that you are a little bit more, um, flexible and how they can approach you and how they can do things. Does that make sense? I don't think I'm expressing that. very yes. well. No, it makes perfect sense. And um, you are absolutely, I, I can, you are correct. And in, in my experience, um, I've experienced the same. So um, when I first started in MetLife, there was, I did life and I did securities. I did investments and all of that. Right. I was the only woman in the office and uh, other than the support staff, uh, I was the only woman agent and I was inappropriately touched hmm. at the copy machine. And I remember like yesterday, I turned around because I was just so in shock. I was younger and, and I remember he made some comments about being a woman and being being a woman of color and um just my nature i remember going to the bathroom Girl, i could just see you just turn around and just clocking him i, I, I didn't I, it's funny because my nature, nature you were like "Ooh, i need to keep myself to myself and right now i need to separate myself from you because otherwise you're going down buddy <laughs> Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, AK Agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. So here's what's funny is, you know, I didn't know what to do. You know, yeah. coming from where I came from, you're exactly right. You know, I would have turned around and slapped him across the face. But at that point, I was much older, a little bit older, not much, but a little bit older, you know, and I had never been in an environment with people that, you know, had suits and shirts and right. professionals. And I had never, I knew I was very conscious of where I was. And, and I'm going to say this, you know, being a 
Black woman in Alabama in a all-white male office, that may not be the right look to hit somebody. That just might not go too well. So I didn't, I didn't do that. I actually went in the bathroom. I cried. I got myself together and I went to his office and I sat in front of him and I said, we have two choices here. Either A, I'm going to go downtown to the big building, the courthouse, and I'm going to get an attorney and I'm going to sue your ass for what you just did. I'm going to make sure that I take you or B, you take two months off every single summer that you don't work and and you are killing it in this industry. And people in here talk about how you are rocking the sales. So either A, we go down here and we go talk to them about what you did or B, you take me under your wing and you show me every single thing you know and what I need to do. And I will call your wife. He took me up on his offer, Teresa. He took me up on the offer and he said, all right, fair enough. He said, when do you want to start doing this? And I said, right now, I went to my little room cubby closet that I had and I went and got a notebook and I started writing down notes and we actually became really good friends. Funny story. We became very good friends. I would help his wife and his kids with things they needed. But in that process, I started to even feel more of what I thought was like, you know, it's weird. You don't, you're like, no, they're not doing that to me. You know, you're not, you don't want to see that in people. But when he and I would be out, I was invisible. Uh I was absolutely invisible. People wouldn't, I'd say good morning. I'd speak to them. They wouldn't say anything to me. They would talk directly to him. Um, and he started getting upset. I think he started to see something. Yeah. Um, and then I transferred it, you know, then fast forward into farmers. And I think you are dead on the captive in the captive side of our industry has a lot more minorities. Um, they do a great job of recruiting um, for diversification. Uh, they, so you have a lot more cultures, not, you know, when I say a lot, obviously nowhere near the majority or any of that, right. just a higher percentage, right? Yeah. Compared to the independent side yeah. of our industry, um, there are way more minorities and, and diversification and cultures in the captive world and the captive world. And part of that is recruitment. And part of that is because there is a lot of programs within certain active carriers that will fund money and you can get loans and, you know, you have subsidy and all of that kind of stuff to help you get in there. You know, on the independent side, of course, you don't have anything, you know, it's just to the wall, let's, let's go. Um, So when I got into farmers, I was blessed that my district manager was a woman. And she was one of, I think, 30 in the entire nation that had a district. And um, she is dynamic and I love her. Her name is Lynn Berry. So she hears the shout out to Lynn. Um, She rocked it. And Lynn was very purposeful to bring women and into the industry and minorities. So when I came, I was the only person of color at the time. 
Um, and then another uh, dynamic agent that um, I'm going to shout her out to Leah Wiggins because I saw a bus go by my house with her on it. And I was in the street screaming and hollering. I was so happy to see her um, still in the industry. But um, she was there. So we start started to build. So there was more there. When I came to the independent side, I had this perception not that it was so much easier on the farm captive side, but there were, I wasn't by myself with what I was dealing with. There was another person or maybe two at most that I could say, Hey, you know, today I'm just frustrated about this, this, and this. I feel like I can't get where I'm trying to go on this industry, in this industry. But when I, and so when I became independent, I thought I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do. And I was going to be able to be the agent I wanted to be and funky and creative and all those things. And I quickly found out that it was even harder on this side because not only are there less women on the independent side, um, there's virtually hardly any black women on the independent side. So, you know, that was something I didn't prepare for. And I'll be honest, I went through, I went through a lot of depression in the beginning. Mm. I was fighting a couple of things. I was fighting being a woman in this industry. And we're talking independent side. Yeah. Being a woman in this industry as an independent is tough. Many times we would go to conventions, we'd go to conferences and my ex-husband they would direct all the conversations to him. And I, every woman that is in the independent industry, that agency owner that is listening to this, I know you're shaking your head because you know what I'm getting ready to say. They're talking to him and he's like, she owns the agency, not me. Yep. And so you're fighting that aspect because the assumption is it's him. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, I'm fighting the colorism the unspoken in the room. And so I did. I went through I went through quite a bit stress. I didn't the good thing is the way farmers pay you, you didn't have time to really go through sitting in the bed being, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. I gotta sell some stuff. Yeah, rent the bank, kids yeah. to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I gotta move this. I don't have time for this shit. Well, can I curse on here? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're all getting by me. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't have time for this shit. I need some wine, right? I got juice. And so um, you keep going. And so that's what I did. But um, I will say it has been, it's been stressful. And I, and I won't sit here and pretend and say that I still don't have times where I feel defeated in this industry because of my color. I do. I will say COVID, something changed me during COVID. And that's, that's probably, that's when we had that conversation. And I want to be respectful of your time as well. Um, That's when we had that conversation about my hurts on that. And for the listeners, I do want to make sure before our time that I share this part. Um, It was during the time, I think of George Floyd, uh, when he passed uh, or when he was murdered, let's just put it out there. And um, we were having a conversation and I don't even remember how it came about, but I remember saying it is so hard for anybody to understand 
what we are going through. You know, I have a son and I've told my son, I don't know how many times I've woken him up and said, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. If you get pulled over, make sure you say this, make sure you say, sir, make sure you don't argue with them. You don't, you know, put your hands on the steering wheel. As soon as the, like all the things to the point that I got, I ran out of things to tell him because all the things I was telling him, I was seeing on the news, innocent people getting, I'm going to say, let me say this. I'm not going to say innocent because there may have been a reason that they were pulled over, but there certainly was a reason for their death, their life to be. Right, right, right. I always tell tell people, it doesn't mean that that, that it was okay in any way, shape or form. Something may have started a conversation, but how we deal with it from the start of the conversation comes back to us, right? And I think that that's what was not followed through on in a lot of those conversations is that we are still responsible for what we bring to the table. And anybody who comes to you at the table for whatever that table is, you're you're responsible for your side of the table. I'm responsible for my side of the table. And I need to make sure I enter into conversations, situations with the utmost of respect for the person at the other side of the table, no matter what they're bringing to the table. And, and I think that's where things got really sideways in a lot of that, that piece of it. That turn, that time. Exactly. So um, we were having that conversation in our round table um, and I started, I think, crying and then it just started coming out and I started explaining that, you know, Teresa, I've been in this industry for 20 years and not until COVID was the first time I wore my hair the way I wanted um, to wear my hair. I grew up with braids. Because that's a cultural thing. That's that's a cultural thing. I grew up with braids. Um, I, I I have been blessed to have long hair, um, but my hair is not straight. As you see, my hair is extremely curly, and um, I learned through life as a kid. And this is not even insurance. This is just black women. We want hair that looks like yours, that's bouncy and pretty because that's what Barbie has. And that's what all television has. That's what Christy Brinkley has. And, and all the people, Marilyn Monroe and all the people that are deemed to be so beautiful, their hair is long and flowing and fluffy and straight and it blows in the wind. My hair is curly. It doesn't blow in the wind. If I don't keep up with it, like I need to maintain that, I'll have an afro for real, it'll just get curlier and curlier and poop, poop, poop. And um, I had more braids in my hair since I was in college mm. until COVID because I didn't feel comfortable enough to the point that my kids knew that when I would wear my hair at home on the weekends, just let it be natural. And then when I would go to a conference, my kids would say, mom, when are you going to, when, when are you going to straighten your hair? Are you going to do it tonight or tomorrow? Like I would not go to a conference or be in a meeting without having my hair straightened first. And I, and that's because when I got in this industry, when my hair is like this, I don't, I work for the company. I'm not an agency owner. Um, I get looked over. Interesting. I'm not addressed properly. Um, there's just a host of things that happen 
But when my hair is straighter, I seem to be able to to fit in the room a little better. And I think because maybe I'm not um, as threatening. And what I mean by that is I blend in. I'm not the oddball. I don't I don't stand out. You know, if you come in a room and most people, their hair is straight and that kind of thing, you can walk in a room. But if you see somebody with hair like mine, you're going to see me out of the crowd. I'm going to stick out. And so I didn't want to stick out. Um, And I got tired of people talking over my head. And I remember my first year, my first conference I went to, MetLife took me to go see Zig Ziglar. Rest in peace. And we had all kinds of meetings. And I never forget one of the leads tapping me on my shoulder saying, you know, you look great, but you might want to um, straighten your hair out a little bit and put on a little bit more makeup to kind of lighten you up a little bit. What? And I was like, I'm already light. What are you talking about? You know, um, I've had people say, um, I've had, I've had a couple of leads say, you know, I know you're from the West Coast and I understand that, you know, you're a little, you know, you can't control how you talk, but try to move your tongue this way so you don't have that urban sound. I can't help the way that I talk. Yeah. Um, I've had client after client after client. I can't, if I had a dollar, I'd be rich. That, that said, you know, I didn't know you were black. On the phone, you don't sound black at all. Or you don't look anything the way that you sound. You know, in my ignorance in my earlier years, I thought they were talking about a California accent versus a Southern accent. But then as I started to get a Southern accent, I started to realize that's not what they're talking about. Um, and then I eventually, you know, I will say this on one thing that I also want to share that has kept me through this industry is the woman camaraderie. Mm. You know, there is a bond between women. I don't care if you are white, if you are black, if you are Chinese or what you are. We seem to be able to get past those things and have compassion for each other because as women, we understand yeah. what we are going through over the the masses. Yeah. And so I appreciate my women counterparts that are not black, that are white, because in many moments when I was stressed and hurt and distressed, you all were there to say, to love on me and say, it's going to be okay. And maybe in some cases, not so much because of the maybe racially acceptance, but more so because you can identify and love the woman that you see beside you because in a lot of ways we mirror each other. But as an independent, it's not, I'm, I'm going to share this with you. And I know this, I'm going to say this delicately because I don't want to step on someone's toes because they may be listening to this. But just to give you an idea of the nonsense, <clears throat> I went to a conference and um, the roommates, there were some conversations that were had that were very inappropriate. And they started about police brutality, but it ended into 
things like, well, I heard once you go black, you never go back. Is it true that all black men have literally conference at conferences um, within the last five years? Wow. I've had those kinds of conversations, not because I bring them up. Right. It's because um, I've had conversations with carriers that have said, well, Kai, I know that's your people. It's your people, quote unquote. That's your people in that zip code, but that's not really the business we want right now. So, you know, you're going to have to figure a way to assimilate over into the more fluent neighborhoods. I've had carriers sit in my office and tell me that, you know, your market is not the market we want. Well, how did you even know what my market is? I thought it might have been zip code related, but then when they tell me the market and they tell me the zip codes is african-american zip codes it's not the other zip codes and i understand there's reasoning there's reasons for that obviously loss ratio things like that lower income has higher losses stuff like that but um but i will say overall that has been probably the hardest part for me in this industry and i vowed um, after COVID, that I would never go back to being somebody or looking away that people wanted me to look. Either you do business with me or you don't. Right. You know, I didn't put myself on my Facebook pages for years. I didn't have my face on anything that had my company Google listings, any of that. I did all of my staff and they and and people loved it. When they saw me, they would go to my office manager and they would complain to her. Oh my goodness. She was the owner. You know, I've had people ask my employees, how does it feel? You know, do you feel comfortable working for a black woman? I've had an agent actually come in my office and try to hire one of my employees. In your office? In my office when I was not there. Now she gave them all the business, but oh my she goodness. cried and she cried and she said she was just sorry the world was such a mean place. Um, you know, and it might be part of where I'm located, but, um, you know, but I thought I would never do that again. I would be who I am. You know, I think when, cause you were part of the original conversation to start this podcast. And I remember you and me and some people hanging out talking about it. And I think that even when we were talking about starting this podcast, this was pre-COVID, barely pre-COVID, but it was pre-COVID. And I think that I um, wanted to be a voice for women in general and, and bring on voices for women, but I had not, and it's taken me a while to really kind of settle into that conversation, but I want to make sure that women, whether or not, the, I mean, of course we're women, right? But people in general, right? Whether, you know, whether or not we're women and or women of color, I want to make sure that we open up that conversation that we want to do life with that authenticity, with that knowledge and that connection in a space of authenticity. And I think when you and I first talked about that, we were talking about your hair and we were talking about how you had not feel really comfortable. And that was something that even though I think at that point I'd known you like a year and a half, two years, maybe. And I was like, I did, I didn't feel that you had been uncomfortable, but I wanted to make sure that on my side too, that I encouraged you to be everything that you want to be, right? Like if somebody, if somebody wants to be 
bohemian, right? Boho, right? And they want to wear the long skirts and they want to wear the, the knit tops. I 100% go for it. I'm 100% for it, right? If you want your hair curly, go for it. I love you the way you are, right? And who you are and your soul. You know, how people approach business and how people approach other people is what matters to me. Uh, you know, and I think we need to shift the conversation even in the even in the corners, even in the private moments, like you mentioned, with maybe roommates when you think maybe you're in a more private setting, right? Maybe if maybe people wouldn't say something in the lobby of a hotel at a at a conference, and a lot of people do, and a lot of people have a couple drinks, and all of a sudden they think they can talk the way they want to talk or do what mm -hmm. they want to do. I really want to make sure that um, from my perspective and my love to you, as well as to everybody else out there, that we as women stand up for people in their authenticity, whatever that looks like for them. I don't, I, I don't want to love people as a shell of who they really are. I don't want to say Kai is one of my people, but then whenever I, if I, come to your house. I don't want to say, I don't know you, you know, I don't want you to be a completely different person in your, your life outside of that. Cause if I say, I know you, I want to know all of you, you know? So I just want to tell you as well as everybody else out there to encourage, cause I do believe that with COVID and with a lot of the conversations the last few years, maybe we made just one or two minor cracks in the, in the, in the world out there. Not a lot. It's not come a long way. We have massive amounts of, of room to grow massive. But I just hope that people stand up against sexual harassment, against race issues, against gender issues, against, you know, just uh, judgment in general about people and making assumptions about people, their careers and their skills based on things that don't matter to those types of conversations. And I just, um, I just want you to know that I love you. I love you too. You know, I mean, a hundred percent and you, and I want all the people out there, men and women to experience that same love. And I hope that having a conversation like this about those journeys, and I love how you've taken those things and I love how you, and I'm not condoning sexual harassment in any way, shape or form, but I love how you went and you took, you took that moment and you said, Hey, we're, I'm definitely 110% going to go this direction and or you can mentor me and I can be better at the end of the day. You, and hopefully maybe it like enlightened that person's eyes to be able to say, hey, this was inappropriate and this person's a person. This person is not something to be grabbed and fondled at the copy machine, you know, but you made a difference in that person's life by standing up. And I think that we as a community have to stand up against bullies of any kind and make sure that we make space for people of every kind, every mental, like we even have people who approach situations differently. My husband, I always call him a bull in a China hutch because he will just fast forward, take over, do what he needs to do. And I'm much more, let's talk about that. And what's the best way to do it? You know, but we need, he needs space to be him and I need space to be me. You need space to be you, but it all needs to be space that's authentic. And I think for me, that's something that I am, so proud of you the last few years that you have really stepped up. And, and that's why when I contacted you, I was like, I want to be able to have that conversation of this journey because I think it's so important to have. Yes. Thank you so much. And I know that our time is probably up. Um, I, hopefully you will have me again because I would love to talk about the balance of health and being an agency owner. 
yeah. um, just balancing your emotions, your physical. And um, there's a lot that I would love to share with the audience about um, my healing journey after I got sick and what I went through and how to still keep your agency going um, while you're 100%. on that hiatus. So hopefully you'll have me back. I will. I will. Because there were so many things, even when we were prepping for this, I was kind of like, well, we can go any direction you want because I have so many things. We, like we could have like an eight hour conversation. I just know we could. So and we will. We're going to have you back on. We're going to do this again. But if people want to reach out to you, Kai, talk to you. OK, if people want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to be able to reach out and get in touch with you? So there are a couple of ways, of course, um, the social media outlets, you can find me It my name is K-A-I um, Smith or Leach, L-E-A-C-H, K-A-I-L-E-A-C-H. And then there's a Smith in parentheses. So that would be me. Um, you can also reach out to me via email. Um, you know, the normal, the case, my, my email is Smith at having a plan, H-A-V-I-N-G-A-P-L-A-N, having a plan.com. And you can, and they can also reach out to me via phone. I'm much better a texter and it is 205-586. Actually, that's not the right number. Look, I just got a new, new number and I'm going to give everybody, somebody's going to be mad at me. Sorry. <laughs> it is, uh, I just thought somebody's gonna get real mad. It's 205-578-0694. Um, you are welcome to to text me as well. I'm a much better texter than phone person, uh, because I'm usually busy. So yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your authenticity. Thank you for coming on here. And um, just for telling your story, I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot about you today, surprisingly enough. I mean, we've known each other for a while, but I didn't know all your uh, your background with everything. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Kai. Thank you, honey. Have a good day. All right. Now, everybody, this has been Kai Smith, and she's with Station Five Insurance out of Birmingham, Alabama. Check her out. She's amazing. If you see her at conferences, grab her. She's somebody you need to know. But also make sure you check out our podcast. We have another episode every single Wednesday. And so make sure you check us out on Apple iTunes, Google uh, Podcast, um, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know where it's all at, but it's wherever you stream your best podcast because that is where we are. Everybody go on out, make the world safe for democracy, and I will talk to you next week.